Welcome to Makers Chat, a podcast community for creatives. I'm your host, Danielle Kaminsky, artist, maker, and educator in South Carolina. If you are a creative business owner, then you're in the right place. This episode is part of a special five-week series with our special guest, Hillary Kay, business coach and Enneagram expert. We believe that the Enneagram is more than a personality test. It is an amazing tool that we can use to not only better understand ourselves, but to better understand those around us. We'll begin each episode one-on-one with Hillary herself as we deep dive into each type, and then we'll chat with a creative who has used the tool to see how it has helped them in their business. So let's jump right in. Okay, so this week we are diving into the type eight, and I love a type eight. Um, I feel like they get a bad reputation. <laughs> and we are here with Hillary Kay, um, Enneagram business coach. And Hillary, tell us what we need to know about the type eight. I feel like they're misunderstood. Do you? Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I think healthy type eights can just be wonderful um, people. It's the unhealthy type eights that I think give eights a bad rap. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, So the type eight is known as the challenger or the boss. Um, That's the, that's the moniker I use most in, in when I'm talking about businesses, um, the boss, um, their core motivators are being self-governed, um, being very independent, um, and their core fears are being controlled. Um, they do not like people telling them what to do. They start to feel out of control. So anything that's going to make them feel out of control, that is a type eight fear. Um, so because of that, their strengths are, um, they have so many wonderful leadership qualities. Um, they're extremely assertive, um, they can command a room, right? And like, you know, we said, you know, just a little bit ago, like commanding when you're not healthy cannot be good, but commanding when you're healthy, right? Is like taking control and, and persuade, they're so persuasive. They can get the troops rallied, right? Around a cause. Like if a, if an eight sees some injustice in the world, you better watch out because they are going to rally the troops to support a cause and take control over that situation. Um, type eights are in the body center. So we've talked about the centers before. Um, There's three within the Enneagram diagram, the the head, heart, and body. And um, eights are in that body center. So they feel their emotion and their gut. So it's not feeling, you know, I think of like the feeling centered is more like happy emotions or like sad emotions. The gut center is very like, I always think gut, like, you know, like it's, it's Um, so you're going to have more of those, um, hot fire emotions like anger or, you know, like that's how I was saying, like the justice seeking, seeking, you know, for the eight. So they're going to really like, what is this making them feel in their body? Like they feel emotion from their head to their toes, right? It's just very, um, what their body's feeling. Um, and they also have connection points, just like any of the other types. So eights, all you eights out there, it's really important. And this, I think, also helps eights maybe not feel like, because I know some eights are like, oh, I don't want to be an eight. I get, I do get such a bad rap. But if you look at all of your connection points on the Enneagram diagram, I think that really helps eights not feel like they're just like this 
bull in a china closet type of person. Sometimes there are, and that's and that's okay. But so eights, um, you have two wonderful wings. You have a wing seven and a wing nine. So you get to use these to help you in your health journey. And if you remember from last week when we were talking about the sevens, those sevens are outgoing. They're the joy spreaders. They're, you know, the fun people in the room. Guess what? You get access to that too, right? And then on the other side, you have the nine, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Those They're calm, right? They're peaceful. So you get to pick up those. So that, that might help all you type eights out there worried that you're just this such abrasive type. You, you do have two friends on either side of you that help you um, in your health and sustainability journey. And then also on the flip side, um, not on the flip side, just in, in addition, you have your lines of integration. So your stress line and your health line. Um, and this is another thing where eights, if you tap into your health line of a two, um, you are, are not going to be seen as super abrasive and bossy. You're going to be seen as making a difference in people's lives and taking control. So picking up those positive attributes from a type two of being a helper and a giver and taking that attention off yourself um, and looking at others. So that those are some things that you can watch out for or, or maybe strive for in, in your journey, right? And then um, on the other side, type eights go to a type five when they are in a place of stress or burnout, picking up some of those more challenging aspects of a type five. So when eights, when you become antisocial, um, when you are feeling out of control, um, when you are very much in your head. So remember type fives, they are, super in their head. Type eights, if you're in your head and not like getting it out, um, that's a that's a big sign that you're in burnout. Also, if you're dismissive of others, and this is why I think that eights can get such a bad rap if they are unhealthy eights, because an unhealthy eight is not paying attention to other people's needs. They're so internally focused on their own needs. Um, so that's that's something to be really aware of if you're an eight that is worried, right, about, about that. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the eight has a lot of strengths. What would you consider the business superpower of the type eight? How can they utilize that? Mm -hmm. I think their assertiveness, honestly, is one of their biggest superpowers. Um, they don't have a problem speaking up for what they need or what others need, right? So in this case, maybe they're customers, right? They're very, they don't have a problem just speaking, speaking that, right? They, a lot of eights are very secure in themselves and that makes a really good business owner. Yeah. Um, if you're secure in what you do and you're not worried about what other people think of you, like that can move mountains, right? Um, and so that's what I really like to help type eights really hone in on is your security and using that power, right? Because type eights are powerful. They're powerful, yeah. but using that power for good. And so harnessing that superpower of being assertive, being commanding, being persuasive and using that for good. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And then finally, of course, you know, what are some things aside from, you know, 
these self-awareness things that we're talking about to watch for signs of burnout, what are some external cues that we might be getting from loved ones or customers or colleagues that would tell us as or tell a type eight that they're headed, they're headed towards burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, when type eights, like if someone says, oh, you're really quiet. Mm, Yeah. That's a really good sign because eights are not known for being quiet at all. Um, they are definitely, you know, and this doesn't mean just vocally, right? Mm -hmm. But quiet in their actions, like they're not doing a lot, right? Maybe they're just going through their day-to-day tasks. Eights aren't like, you know, um, mopers. They don't, you know, they don't get, you know, super like in self, you know, self-pity. They're, they're not vocal, you know, that way. But when they're just more introverted, when they are inside themselves. So people might like, oh, I, you know, oh, I didn't even know you were here. Yeah, yeah. That type of thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So they have, they still have, you know, when they, when their presence isn't felt. Yeah. When it's not, not known, right? Um, and so, so things like that. Um, and, and that goes hand in hand in their, their personal life and professional life, right? So even their, you know, the, their family, friends, um, but also like their, their customers. Um, it also might be like um, when, their customer might say like, I don't feel like you're seeing my side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, can you just, and eights have a hard time listening when they're in a, not in a good spot. And so that could be something like it. And also always like a good check-in. Like if you get negative comments from a client or customer to stop, get in your body, <laughs> do a body scan. We talked about this a little bit with a type one and type ones in that gut center too. Um, and so it's kind of that same check in with your body, check in with your emotions, right? Remember that in health, you are a giver. You think of others before you. So kind of get, feel that emotion because it's valid, right? Feel that anger, right, right. but push through it and past it. Um, and don't let it stop there. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Hillary. And we'll be chatting again one more time next week about the type nine. Awesome. Sounds great. Yes. For more from Hillary, you can follow her online on Facebook and Instagram or head over to her website, hillarykay.com. H-I-L-L-A-R-I-E-K-A-Y.com. And right now you can pre-order her new book, Unlock Your Potential at Work. And everyone who pre-orders their book before December 3rd is actually entered in a drawing for a free one-hour call with Hillary herself. So head on over through the links in our show notes and get your hands on that today. Now let's talk to this next creative. Okay, guys. So we are going to talk to my friend Carrie Johnston about what it's like to be a type 8. So Carrie has been on the podcast before. Tell us just a, a recap real quick of your business, Carrie, the, your name and, and what you dabble in because because you got sure. some fun stuff happening yeah i'm carrie johnston with rose city boutique um i am in springfield ohio um we have a i started out um as a maker paint furniture painter diy paint stockists etc and then um about a year ago actually opened a full boutique so we have clothes jewelry art gifts uh, home decor, the whole nine yards. So you can find us at shoprocity.com. But, um, but yeah, so we have a, a full, full boutique. 
Um, and so I run a vendor store. It's, um, uh, we'll probably talk more about that as we talk through the eight, but, um, but yeah, I run a store that basically partners with local makers and artisans that have specialties and they operate as brands within the store. So it's not like a booth set up. It's more like a, a boutique that actually um, each of the brands that you see was locally sourced. So it's very, very cool, very, um, a really lovely way to kind of support my community and a lot of my, my fellow makers that I've met uh, along the way when I was doing more of the making and less of the business side of things, which is what yeah. I'm mostly in now. Fun, 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 fun. I'm loving it. <clears throat> so talk to us for just a minute about, you know, how long have you known about the Enneagram? When did you first take a test? You know, how long has this, I guess, been in your periphery and your frame of reference? Well, I was excited to have listened to some of your other Enneagram podcasts so I could uh, knew, I knew you were going to ask me that question. I had to look it up because I was like, I have no idea. I feel like I've known about it forever. Um, I actually took the full ready in May of 2020. So okay. not too long ago, like a year and a half or so. Um, I had heard about it through Brene Brown. Brene Brown had done a podcast on it. Um, and then I had taken the free test that a lot of folks take and I got a different result every time. And so then I, uh, as, because of who I am as a person, I had to then get the book and take the full test to fully understand what exactly, um, what exactly applied to me within that. Um, and it's been a real rabbit hole ever since I've really gotten pretty into it in the last year and a half. Yeah. I love it. I just love it so much. So were you, when you first took the test, well, I take that back because you got multiple different results. Yeah. Did you, even at that time, were you testing as an eight sum and having different or mixed emotions about it or anything like that? No, I, I initially, um, I think that I kept taking the test with who I wanted to be in mind. Okay. So I made the mistake of familiarizing myself with all of the types and then determining that I wanted to be a three like Danielle and <laughs> taking the tests, thinking, what would a three say in this regard? And then, uh, and then the test was kind of malfunctioning because I was not really, um, it, was, it wasn't quite as a big enough test to kind of catch that. You know, if you get a robust enough test, it will ask questions in enough ways that you'll end up, you know, the truth will come through. But it's, it's such an abbreviated test that I, I sort of um, kept messing it up, honestly. Um, but I really wanted to be a three. I wanted, really wanted to be an achiever. Um, a lot of folks that I know and admire are threes. I do have achievement tendencies. But um, as soon as I got my results after I took the ready and read like the first paragraph of the results, I was like, oh, man. Um, I actually was talking to a guy that, um, that works at my boutique today. Um, and he, he was talking about how he hates personality tests. And I said, well, uh, here's what this personality result says about me. And I gave him some of like the overview and he like keels over laughing. And he's like, if that ain't you, I don't know what is. And I'm like, I know it's horrible. Right. Um, because he actually, and I used to work together, um, at one of my previous jobs and he nicknamed me the dream crusher. So I knew he would very much appreciate all of the less wonderful qualities of the eight that come through. 
uh, in, in the, in the results. You know, it's funny that you say you wanted to be a three, because I think if I just got to pick, I would want to be an eight. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, that's really nice to hear because I was telling um, somebody about the Enneagram and I was talking about how I'm the type that um, even when I listen to Hillary and uh, listen to other people talk about the Enneagram, it's always like that deep breath moment before they like, and then there's the type eight and it's like, we're a really challenging type We're, but I really feel like um, it's because there's a lot of layers. And yeah. so, you know, as you get into the eight, you know, like it was one of those things as I'm reading it, I'm like, man, that's like all my worst qualities. And then as I got into learning more about it, I'm like, okay, some of my best qualities are in here too. Oh, yeah. It's just, um, your brain always picks out the bad before it picks out the good. And of course, you know, we all want to be the healthiest version of our type, right? And maybe right. that's why, but, you know, I talk, I, I know that the eights get a bad rep, right? Like, I mean, I've, I've heard everyone talk about it too. And I hear all that, but like every eight that I've gotten to know is somebody that I just like, I admire what they're doing. I wish I could think like them and do all that. So it's just funny that you say that because I'm the opposite. <laughs> yeah. It's I, I've learned to embrace it over time. And now as when I listen to, you know, Enneagram things, I'm kind of like looking forward to hearing about the eight. Um, and, and I sort of know some, you know, I, I know it obviously the most intimately, but it's like, there's some real redeeming qualities about us. And I was excited to get a chance to talk to you about it too, because I'm like, I'm one of the qualities of the eight is being very honest and forthright. And I'm like, I will be happy to talk about all the worst, but also all the best. So I'm hoping the fellow eights that listen to this, you know, feel, um, a little bit more seen after this podcast. Yes. And, you know, one of the reasons, um, that we were talking with, with Hillary too, as our guest expert, she's, you know, she's really good at like burnout coaching and as business owners and entrepreneurs, right. We have to be very careful of that. It's very easy to take on a ton of stuff and push ourselves to burnout. So I wanted her to speak to that, but, you know, also to speak to the superpowers, because no matter what type you are, there are these characteristics that can just make you amazing at what you do. And just figuring out harnessing that was kind of what I wanted to sort of be the the thrust of this whole series. So talk to us a little bit because you're real familiar. And of course, we've just heard Hillary talk about, you know, all the connection points for the eight. But talk to us a little bit about about your strengths, about the things that you feel like personally for you have been not only just the positive characteristics and the redeeming qualities, like you were saying, but like your superpower, the things that have really just helped you in business. Yeah, I think the biggest, well, I'll, I'll take, I'll say two. So two of my favorite things about being an eight, um, are the fact that we have a very specific vision and we take, um, really active action. Um, we are doers. Um, and I, I, that really resonates with me. Um, and we don't do anything half-heartedly. So, (laughs) So that's like been something that people have said, you know, throughout, throughout my life is like, oh yeah, you never do anything halfway, you know? And it's like, nope. I mean, even opening this boutique, uh, which we talked more about in the other episode I was on, you know, it was like, it was this, this big thing that happened really fast. And as things came together, I just like, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it. I have a coworker who I used to say, who used to say, uh, 
no way through it, but to do it. And I'm like, that is the eighth mantra, like no way through it, but to do it. Um, so I really appreciate that about myself. Um, and I appreciate that when, when I, I appreciate and it gets exhausting, <laughs> but whenever I'm involved in something, I tend to, whenever I'm involved in something, I tend to end up the leader of it, um, which I can appreciate, but that also gets exhausting. Um, and that's one of the things that keeps me sometimes from wanting to get involved in things at all, because I know I'm, I'm never able to just participate both because of the way I think and because of the way others perceive me, like I very quickly become a leader of any group. Like I, I have a long corporate background and, um, I used to, it used to be a game for me in my head where I would go to meetings and I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to say a word this whole meeting. And I know we're going to do like group activities and I'm just going to be a participant. And so we'd break off into groups and they'd be like, who's going to write on the board? And inevitably someone would hand me the pen and be like, Carrie will be our spokesperson. And I'm like, okay, I literally cannot, like no matter how consciously I try to just be a participant, it's not possible. Um, so that's that's a blessing and a curse. Um, I always like when I used, to, I don't know if you ever watched Lost, but the whole time I was watching Lost, I'm like, man, I'd end up being one of these people in charge. I would not end up one of these people like fishing, you know, and being <laughs> like, how could we help? I'd be I'd be in charge. Um, but the thing that I love most about that leadership aspect of being an eight is that I do think one of my superpowers is identifying people's strengths. So um, like my parents joke all the time about how like I have the, the oddest assortment of people around me. Um, like there's no common thread really of my friend group. Other than that, everybody is an amazing, is amazing at something. And sorry, my son has a cough. Um, and one of the things that I really love about running a vendor store, I mean, when I came, went into shopkeeping, um, a lot of fellow shopkeepers was like, were like, oh, you won't want to work with vendors that for very long. Like you'll want to end up just being in charge of your own store. Um, and you'd think with an eight being a primary driver of being independent, that would absolutely be the direction I'd want to go. But the hidden gem of being an eight is that we actually love to leverage other people. Um, and if we do that well, we're doing that in a, you know, positive and uplifting way. Um, we can tend to just like, be like you, you're good at this thing, get over here and do it. <laughs> you know, like, but yeah. Um, when we're doing it in a healthy way, we're identifying people's strengths, helping them to see them and helping then to help, uh, to kind of put together a community of people who are all very, um, complementary to one another. So like, even at my store, um, my right-hand person is like a person who excels at like tedious and repetitive tasks, which I identified very quickly as my 100% opposite. And I'm like, you and I are going to be, we're going to do great things together because I'm going to be over here, like, you know, trying to save the world. And you're going to be like, did you send the email on Tuesday? And I'm going to be like, <laughs> thank you very much for that. Um, she uploads the products into the website, you know, and she crosses all the T's and dots, all the I's for that. Um, and then it's really, it's, it's awesome to me to watch people as I identify 
wonderful things about them, them start, start to see it for themselves, um, and start to like exercise those muscles. Um, and then, you know, the shadow side of that is sometimes they're like, yeah, okay. I might be good at that, but I don't feel like doing it, you know? And then as then that gets frustrating for us eights. Cause we're like, if you would just do the wonderful things that I know that you could do, this would all work out very well. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, I, that's, yeah, that's my favorite. Um, my favorite things about being eight, um, that leadership in the, the really being able to, I mean, even in my corporate background, um, I always ran teams that I would identify what people did well. And I would just like double down on people's strengths, um, which sometimes worked in corporate and sometimes didn't. A lot of times in that corporate environment, they want everyone to be a jack of all trades. So I, when I had the weird team that was like, we're not going to make him do this thing. We're going to only let him do this thing because this thing he can do twice as well as everyone else. And if he just focuses on that, it'll be really helpful. It's like, well, no, he needs, he has to do these other things. So, but when people were on my team, they really liked it because they knew, you know, they knew that they, that they would get to do what they were really good at. Um, so yeah, probably those things. Yeah. I love that. And it makes sense, you know, cause the eight goes to the two and help. And so that wanting to help other people and being good at that and nurturing that, um, that's awesome. So on the flip side, what are your personal like red flags or guardrails, the things that you notice about yourself most when you are going to that stress point and you're struggling? Yeah. So, um, I, it's, I know that you, you have talked about, um, grief a lot. So I'll, I'll kind of touch on grief as being one of the things that makes me weird <laughs> because one of the things about an eight is that if we are getting like, we don't really like feeling feelings. <laughs> we just don't really like to. So when we're in a situation where we're forced to feel feelings and that could be stress, that can be overwhelm. Um, and you know, we get to stress and overwhelm quickly because people like to put us in charge of all the things. Um, or when we're feeling something like grief, that is a very uncomfortable place for us eights. So um, one of the biggest things that happens to me when I'm feeling big feelings is I just want to shut out everyone in the world. So whereas when I'm in a very happy, productive place, I want everyone to come together and I want us to all give the best of ourselves to the common cause. Uh, when I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed or emotional, um, I just want to like be in a corner, which actually is something I've sort of dialed into a little bit more the last few months because I've noticed that even things like furniture painting is, was a survival instinct I picked up because I wanted to isolate in times of grief, but I don't know how to isolate if I'm not being productive. <laughs> so it was like furniture painting was a way I could tell people, look, I'm doing something valuable and feel like I was moving and, and acting and moving towards something. But it was really a survival instinct for me because I wanted to be by myself. So it was like sort of a way that people would leave me alone because I was doing a project, but I got alone time, which is what I wanted to have when I was going through grief. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big one. Um, and also because of that, like I go through emotional burnout, um, pretty, 
regularly, I would say that's probably my biggest problem in relationships for sure is that um, I get so dialed into people's feelings and so want to help people that the biggest thing that I run into is if people then aren't helping themselves, I burn out very quickly because I'm like, I gave you all the tools. (laughs) Yeah. I gave you the roadmap to get yourself out of this difficult situation and you did not follow my directions. And here we are. Yeah. Um, but then also I just like, I, I hit a quota of, of feelings and I get like overwhelmed by myself and other people's feelings. So especially sometimes like, you know, in, in a grief space, for instance, I have trouble taking care of everyone and me. And then I often just end up wanting to go into a hidey hole because I can't take care of everyone and me at the same time. So that to me is, um, is a challenge, but I also in understanding it's, it was one of those things that as I was reading my Enneagram type, I thought was just a weird me thing and was like, oh, obviously there's other people that also are like this (laughs) or wouldn't be a personality type, but I'm like, okay, It, it helped me better understand why um, why I do things like, you know, shut out the world when everyone's feeling too big of feelings or disassociate, or, um, I've even like ended friendship sometimes when it felt like somebody just wanted to feel feelings all the time and take no action. I like, I get, I got fed up and I have to like, I can't be around people like that. So I get very, um, impatient when people only want to feel feelings and they don't want to take action. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. That, and yeah, there's so many similarities between the three and the eight. And and like, as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, yeah. But then you'll say something and I'm like, there's the difference. Mm -hmm. Cause that just that little underlying motivation and, and how, how that kind of plays out in the process and everything. Cause you were talking about detaching, um, because of the feelings, because the A, you know, is in the gut center, the body center. So that's all about like instincts and, and that kind of thing. So you kind of detach from the feeling part. Like, like you said, you can burn out emotionally. Well, the three, you know, when we get super stressed, we go to the nine, which completely detaches. Um, but it's not so much to get away from the emotion. It's to avoid the failure. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's, and I'm I'm actually willing to take the failure, um, to avoid the emotionality. So, um, I mean, I've, I've definitely gone through that in, in friendships where it's like, and then she just abandoned me. And it was like, I know why I abandoned you. Yeah. You know, like I, you know, that, and that, that sounds very cold and calculating, like, and that's where I think we get a bad rap, but it's really because we tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to help. And we didn't, we didn't, we didn't want to just, we don't like to live in just a feelings place. We like to live in an actions place. So even like through all the, the grief cycles that I've gone through, like the role I end up taking typically when someone's passed away is like the organizer, like, okay, this person's gone. Yes, I have feelings to feel about it, but you know what also needs to happen? This checklist. So here we go. Like, let's uh, disseminate all of the information that needs is needed. Let's figure out what the family needs. Let's organize the 
like my best friend went through cancer treatment and it was like, I was the person that was making the, the dinner list. And then I, of course I would get frustrated if someone said they were coming at six and they came at seven. And it was like, this person is counting on you to come at six with their dinner. (laughs) Come on. You know? And it was like that. I always have to feel useful. So if I'm in a relationship where somebody's like, life is hard. And I'm like, here's a use, here's something I can do to help. And you're like, no, thank you. I'd like to just feel sad. Then, then that's when I disconnect. And it feels like abandonment to the person sometimes, but it's really like just me reaching the point in which I've tried to help so many times. I can't do it anymore without, you know, without, I don't like to live in that feelings place. Yeah. And you have to protect your energy too, because when you get to that point in a relationship, no matter who the person is or what the situation is, it's, it's draining your energy. Yeah. Um, so it's an energy spend. And if, mm-hmm. you know, if you recognize that nothing's going to happen there, you've kind of got to, right? Well, and the result is that I've ended up with an excellent group of people around me. So yeah. the people that have survived <laughs> are amazing people who are very self-aware and who can talk through, you know, I've got, I have plenty of friends that struggle with a lot of things, but my my most effective friendships are the ones where we can sit here and we can talk. I mean, and I'm not, goodness gracious, I'm nowhere near perfect, but I'm someone who can usually say, you know, I'm aware of how I'm making my own problem or whatever, or I can talk to you through how I'm trying to work through that or what, you know, resources I'm trying to engage or whatever. And a lot of my friendships are like that now where um, there are people who are doing the work as well as feeling the feelings. And it's, it's a, it's a good group of people to be around. Yeah. That's awesome. And something about the way you worded that too. And, you know, that was because that's the thing that, that you read a lot about eights and I've seen it before, but like hearing you phrase it that way, you said the ones who survived and, you know, eights have a tendency to test people though. Yeah. Like that was another thing that I thought was a me thing that is, um, that I was, very interested to find was a more universal thing is that, um, we, we desire such connection that we will test to see if you really care and our, my default mode. And I could have swore this was just some kind of weird trauma response, something, um, I was like, why do I always assume people don't like me? Like my default mode is you don't like me. And then you have to sort of prove like 27 times that you do like me before I'll believe it. And I'm here, I'm like reading the Enneagram book and it's like type eights test friendships and they deter, they try to see whether you're actually loyal. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So that's not just a me thing. Yeah. Okay. But it's because we really want really pure, real connection. Um, that's one of the reasons that we're so direct in, is that we want you to be very direct. And so that was another interesting thing where it was like, oh, I always knew people who took themselves very seriously or put on airs or um, were manipulative. I always knew that I just had an energetic rejection response to those people. <laughs> um, and a lot of people, even as I was growing up, where, you know, everyone else, everyone else would be like, they're great. And I'm like, I don't, I don't like that person on some kind of level. I can't even articulate. They just don't seem 
real enough. Like I joke about happy robot people. I'm like, I have no patience for happy robot people, like zero. And it's because we desire such real connection. And so, you know, when I meet someone like you and you're like very authentic, I just energetically immediately, you know, bond with folks like that because it's like, okay, we can actually truly connect because, you know, if I'm interacting with someone who is always sending the representative into the, into the relationship, I'm not forming a real relationship with that person. And therefore it's a waste of my time. Like that's just immediately where I go. It's like, and yeah, so that's, that's a huge thing. And then again, it's that two sides of the coin where it's like, um, you know, oh, eights, they, you know, test their friendships and they test loyalties and whatnot. And it's like, but that's because we want real genuine connection. And if we sense that this is not a real genuine connection, we will, we will see if we can either get the real genuine connection out of you. Like, okay, can we peel back those layers? And, and anybody that I'm friends with will tell you that I'm definitely like a layer peeler and I will not, you will not get into a conversation with me for very long without getting into it. Like, we're not going to sit here and talk about the weather and like how pretty the flowers are looking outside for more than like five minutes. We will quickly talk about like, so then tell me how your mother affected your, your childhood trauma. Like, we'll just get right there because that's, I want to know the real you and I want you to know the real me. And I don't feel like we're really connected unless we get there. And that is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, it's definitely a test, but it also bonds me to people very deeply, which is a positive yeah. in my book. Have you, I'm, I'm interested to see, and I, and I had this conversation with Greta, but I'm not going to lie. I can't remember if it actually made it into her podcast episode or not, but um, have you ever looked into the subtypes, the three subtypes of each of the nine types? Um, I'm wondering, I did take another test and I was, I opened that PDF before we <laughs> came on and I was like, I don't remember what this was. So that might, that might've been, the, um, was it, is it the one that's like social, social, sexual, yes. and I can't remember what they call the self-preservation one, but the, so I'm social first self-preservation second. Sexual really? Third. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, so the, and, and the sexual is not it's funny because it's not sexual the way most people think of sexual it's just but it's like this intimate one-on-one kind of connection with people yeah and I've got that which is not necessarily standard in a three so what you're talking about right now as just being like an eight characteristic like I feel like that's how I am a lot but it's not so much because I'm a three it's more because of that that subtype that like one-on-one I want the real connection I want to talk about the real stuff kind of thing but I wonder you know, cause the eight, the eight, the nine and the ones are the, the, the gut center or the body center or, you know, instinct center, however, how, whichever way you want to call it. But, um, Kristen Calhoun, who came, she came on here and she was our type one and she was kind of talking about the same thing. She's like, I mean, if we're going to talk, let's talk about something real. Like, otherwise it's a waste of time and I need to be doing this other thing. And I just think that that's really interesting that you, it's like, you have that kind of of, I guess that instinct of if this is not, um, if we're not getting anywhere with this, I need to move on to something else. 
yeah, and not yeah. And, it, that and it definitely like surfaces as impatience. Um, but it is, it is a very, um, instinctual, you know, fight or flight type of thing, which it was so funny when I saw Kristen Calhoun was the type one, I, my first instinct was surprise. And then my second, immediately second thought was, well, that explains so much about Kristen. (laughs) So much of Kristen's, I mean, and I don't, I don't, I have not, she's on my bucket list to meet in real life, but I, I have only, I only have met her on the internet. Um, but like, you know, she's a retailer and stuff too. And so a lot of times I see her kind of beating herself up for not doing things right or well. And that, even as she talks about ADHD, it's a lot of like shame cycle around, um, this is keeping me from doing things the way I want to do them or the way that I feel like is the right way to do it. And I was like, okay, that like that, if she's the perfectionist, that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because there, I have, I have a few ADHD friends and, and some are more embracing of, you know, let's, this is just my neurodivergent way of approaching this, but Kristen does, she'll, she'll talk about that, but then she also talks sort sort of like shames herself for some of the ways that she's not doing things the way that she feels like she should either. Like always apologizing for things and stuff like that. So I was like, I was very excited you were doing this, um, the series. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm going to learn so much about the people that I, that I, I, they don't know we're best friends, but like, we're, we're secret yes. best friends. They're in your circle. Yeah. They don't know yet, but they're in, they're in my orbit. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. So I, yeah, I love, I love Kristen to pieces and you know, it works out that she feels that way about like the one-on-one kind of connection because I'm kind of the same way. So when we talk, we talk about stuff that matters. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think we both walk away feeling good about that. But, um, but yeah, definitely. Cause she had, she would say that too. And she uses the word should a lot. And she did in, in that. And I told her, you know, I've told her before how I was like, you're hard on yourself. She's yeah. like, and I know, but I'm not, but I am. <laughs> and that's just, I mean, that's like all of us within our type that we like, it's just it's just it just models the way we talk and the way we talk to ourselves and talk about ourselves to other people I don't know I love it sorry I was about to spin out I'm often um, there but no totally and I'm often categorized by other people as three because they see that like that like achievement instinct Mm -hmm. but the difference in the way I approach things and I think the way that that threes approach things is that um if, whether or not the world thinks something's right or not, if we think something's right, we think it's right. So like, even in running the store, it's like, I mean, I left a very successful career to open the store and the whole, I mean, goodness gracious, my whole family was like, this is the worst decision you've ever made. Not my <laughs> husband, but like my parents and stuff. Um, and I was like, no, this is what I should be doing. And like, even during the struggle, they'd be like, you know, like, the, the, we all have lean months where it's like, yeah. Oh, don't, don't you miss that job? I'm like, no, this is what I was supposed to do. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's one of the differences too, is that one of the th- reasons I was like, okay, I'm not a three. Cause I guess, uh, it's not always the external gold star. It's like the, that gut instinct where it's like, no, I know this is what I should be doing. Yes. That drives my achievement versus the, yeah. And something that happens 
for a three that doesn't happen for an eight, which is the reason that I want to be an eight. Um, <laughs> we, we do look for that external validation. So if we have to pivot or if we have a change of plans or if the end result doesn't look exactly like we thought it would, we spend a lot of time convincing everyone else that, that it's still good. And, and it usually still is. I mean, you know, that's the other thing about a three. You, you can take that negative and make it positive in a skinny minute and yeah. like, okay, this didn't work, but what, but what did I learn and what's going to work about it? And, you know, you just, you take that negative and you turn it into a positive and you still achieve something. But because we've had to get away from the original plan, we're convincing ourselves and I guess by extension, everyone else that it wasn't a failure. And so I think as a rule, threes do a lot of external processing. I know I do. And I've yeah. seen it a lot in a lot of others as well, at least if they're more extroverted, like I know I am, maybe the more introverted threes don't, don't quite do that, but, but we do a lot of talking about, okay, so this is what ended up happening. And this is why it was actually for the best. And like, I mean, you know, like yeah, that rational, I guess, you know, we, we try to like, make everything I don't know justify it maybe sure yeah anyway, I get that sorry we're talking about eights not threes my apologies totally fine <laughs> I like to talk about threes as well because it was you know what I wanted to be but right. I then I'm learning how to embrace my eight dumb absolutely um but I mean that's that's almost one of the the things that's a challenge as an eight is that um and I was thinking about this as I was reviewing some of the material about eights to make sure I was had everything top of mind for this conversation. Um, some of the challenges that I come across is with putting myself out there. Um, and that, that to, it sort of seems counterintuitive to an eight because, you know, we're supposed to be like kind of the bullheaded, um, type, but we're so fearful of rejection. <laughs> and we, if you put yourself out there to the public, well, you're just not, there's no way you're going to please all those people. And there's definitely going to people be people who reject you in there. So, um, it almost, it was, it provided some clarity kind of going and kind of going back over this stuff too, as to what, what I struggle with. I mean, like there's a couple of big things that I want to launch in 2022 and the, every single time the tripping point is like, but what if people think that, you know, I'm too big for my bridges. And it's like, I want you to see my real intention because, you know, as an A, our real intention is, and that this, I had to sort of meditate on this too. It's like, I want to have a positive impact on other people. And I feel like there are ways to scale that positive impact for other people. Um, if I can just get out of my head about whether everyone's going to perceive it that way. Um, and so that's, that's tricky. Cause it's like, for those people that I have helped along the way, it's been, you know, very beneficial. Um, but in every time I think about scaling it and putting it out, like, like casting a big net out into the public, I'm like, Ooh, but the public's unpredictable <laughs> groups of groups of people in general, I find to be like, I'm not a big huge fan of big groups of people. Um, and then it's like, oh man. And then big groups of people want you to perform in a certain way and want you to act in a certain way. And there's definitely going to be ways that, 
you know, I should, and I'm not a should person. And so it's like, that's a whole wrestling match in my head to say, so if I put things out the way I want to put things out, I will attract certain people, but I will also not attract some people. And, um, and how will I feel about that? How will I handle that, um, emotionally? So, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's complex because I, I think people are confused too. Like, I'll be like, Oh, I mean, even, um, I was talking to my business coach at one point and I said, um, you know, gosh, there is such comfort in obscurity. You know, there is such comfort in having my little circle that I have really good connections with and having all them know all of my wonderful characteristics. Um, but man, when I'm like thinking about putting that out into the world, then I'm opening myself up to so much criticism. And she's like, ah, don't worry about that. And it's like, I am deeply worried about that (laughs) in a way that people even like, I think struggle to understand because we seem so confident. Um, I, my entire life, people have been confused. Anytime I've told them that I'm not confident, people are like, yeah, well, you're totally confident. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm totally extroverted. And I, when I have, I'm passionate about something, I'm totally like stubborn about it. Um, but I don't enjoy opening myself up to other people's rejection. That's not, that's a nightmare for me. So, uh, yeah, that's, I think something that is very misunderstood about eights is people think like, oh, well, if they're the leader, then they must be you know, they must have this titanium armor. It's like, oh no, we are like Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> <laughs> it is all squishy under here. That's funny. Well, and you know, the, that core motivation for the type eight too, that wanting to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's what you want to protect yourself from. You're trying to protect yourself from rejection, um, whether or not, you know, but just because I've got to, I guess, I don't know, it's my, it's my tendency, right? But you said that about certain people will not like you. My business coach has a mantra. Her name's Courtney Foster Donahue, and she's actually going to be on here in January. I'm very excited. But um, she has a mantra that good marketing, clear marketing, what you do is going to attract, but it's also going to repel because you are not for everybody and everybody does not belong in your in your circle, in your orbit. Um, so it's really good that there will be people that will know right away that they don't want what it is you're offering. Yeah. Because that means if, if you make it so clear that if they don't like you, they just automatically don't become a part of it, then you don't have to worry, right? You don't have to worry yeah. nearly as much once they're there that they're not getting what they were after because you were really clear. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to think about. Um, because I do, um, I do tend to want to like, you know, make everything shiny and more, you know, you it's comparisons, the thief, right? Let's see, you look around and you're like, okay, so for this to be right, it needs to look like this, but then you're like, well, that's not me. But then it's like, okay, but me, what does that look like? And that's been a huge um, learning curve in even running my boutique is that when I opened, I opened as a sister store to the store that I was a vendor in. So when I first opened, I was very much like, 
um, like a carbon copy of them. Um, and me and my business partner who owns that store, we've had several conversations over the last year where it's, where she was like, it's so interesting watching you become more and watching your store become more and more your store each month. Um, when it comes to like the vendors you choose, the products that you choose, the way that you're merchandising, she's like, you know, you've definitely start, you know, started going down your own path. Um, but it was like, at first I don't, you know, you never, I don't think anyone knows how to do that at first. I don't, I don't know that that's an easy thing to, you know, be your blaze your own trail at first. I think that whole imitation, um, before innovation is so real. So it's like, even as I'm trying to figure out how to do this thing, that's been done a million times, you know, putting out courses in the world has been done a million times, but it also, you can sort of see a, a formula online for that. And it's like, is that, how am I going to make that formula authentic to my voice? That's a big thing that I'm stuck on. Cause I, I, you know, I think it's really easy to use like the shiny copy and to get it, get the tone of other people who are very successful at it, um, versus keeping your tone. Um, and, and even with the boutique life, I mean, in the boutique, there are customers you have to understand that there are going to be customers who are attracted to you and customers who aren't attracted to you. But I struggled with that at first, especially, I mean, it was like, no, 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 everybody has money. <laughs> I want everyone to shop here. Yes. And then it was like, okay, but now, now, you know, everybody's getting one thing that they like here because everything's, I don't know, you're trying to appeal to everyone. And the more that I brought in things that resonated with me, the more, Peop, the right people spent five times as much money, even when the wrong people were spending no money anymore. Like the first time I got, I did one of those polls on Instagram and had the heart um, scale, you're, you know, and you're like, you want everybody to be a hundred percent heart at whatever you're posting. And I had somebody put 0% heart. <laughs> and I was like, and it was like a funny cross stitch. Um, and I, and I, of course, it was like, who's that? And then I looked and I was like, oh yeah, that was somebody who like does not have the same sense of humor as me at all. But then I was like, would I want this not to be in my store because this one person 0% hearted it? No, like that person's just going to have to find a store that resonates with them more. Exactly. Because um, I, yeah, I, I need to entertain my people. Yeah. And I think that's something that for me personally, you know, bringing, with with business and the Enneagram, I recently did a workshop with the gals in my membership group, and we were talking about using, knowing what you know about your type and how you work and the marketing and all of that, like how to use that within your type and what you're good at and that kind of thing. And I think that for me, learning about the Enneagram, it freed me in a lot of ways because, you know, I'm over there in the feeling center. I'm a people pleaser. I want everyone to be happy. I was working with a group of almost 70 people um, and literally can't make everybody happy all the time. So like I was in this constant state of stress. And then once I really got into the Enneagram and really just kind of started settling in to what was right for me, like you're talking about, um, 
that understanding that I can't make everybody happy and it's not my job to make everybody happy. And it would be completely irrational to expect that I could make everyone happy. Like just being able to process that, like, even, even if you don't even look at all the nine types, even if you just look at the three different ways that people process decision-making, you've got your people who use logic, you've got your people who use instinct, and then you've got your people who use their feelings. You can't take all that into account with everything that you do. You just can't. And, and because it physically literally just cannot be your responsibility, right? That's freeing to me. No one can reasonably expect me to do this anymore. And so it frees me to do things my way, but it also frees me up. I feel like within the past year, personally, there are more spaces around town that have similar business models. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is a, it is a situation that could be just absolutely right for a lot of competition, but each store has something that makes it unique. Mm -hmm. And when you lean into realizing that, this is what I do and I do it well. But if someone comes to me and I can't give them what they want and I'm familiar enough to show them where they can go get what they want, that is always going to be better than trying to get everyone to come to me and not being able to make them all happy. So, you know, that's the whole idea of community over competition. To me, that's what it comes down to. Because when we can work together that way, the person who came to my store and didn't find what they wanted if I just was like, mm, sorry, we don't have that and just didn't help them versus, but there's this other store in town and I think you'll find what you're looking for there. And this is how you get there and X, Y, Z. That person is going to have a much better taste in their mouth when they leave my business because I helped them that way. Yeah. And I just, I don't know when you, when you said that about finding your lane. And I think that that is something that I talk, I've talked to a lot of people about lately is that idea of like you just said, everyone's got money and I want them to come spend it at my store, but we're going to do so much better if we find what's us, find our voice, be, well, yeah. And I, um, and I have found freedom in, I, especially when it comes to like, you know, a merchandise store, you can go broke trying to have every kind of thing for every kind of person. And, you know, I definitely got, got caught up in some, um, stress when, you know, one person would come in and be like, ah, you don't have anything for dogs, you know? And it's like, well, no, it's a, it's a woman's boutique. And then it'd be like, should I have some things for dogs? You know? And it was like, okay, you know, you, we can have, if I tried to stock a little bit of something for every kind of person in the world, I'd be so broke. (laughs) Whereas if I try to stock these certain things for this certain person, then I can attract that person a lot more easily than the person trying to find me and all the noise. But it's very liberating to say, you know what? There's this wonderful place for pet supplies here in town. And now I don't have to feel burdened to supply pet things, you know? And I think when you're growing, everybody has an idea to branch off into this and branch off into that and branch off into this. And now that I have a year under my belt, I can see what people were attracted to us for and what people weren't attracted to us for as well. And I think that is very liberating because it's like there are, everybody has something that is their special sauce, but it does, it does take trial and error to figure out what that is. I mean, I'm trying to go hard on workshops in 2022 
even though there are a couple other places that have workshops in town, um, there we have some unique ones. A, B, we we actually sell the products that people can do can purchase to recreate those. Um, and see, we have a lovely, we have a lovely intimate space. It's like 15 people. Um, but people really bond during our, our classes in a way that I don't think necessarily the people bond at other people's workshops. Um, and if people are wanting to go and be part of a 50 person class and fade into the background, they've got a, they've got a place to do that. Or if they want to like leave after three hours, knowing, you know, the kids of all the people in the room at my workshop, they've got that. But it was like, that was one of the things that I, I sort of identified after getting that year under my belt is like, this is something that is a, a, a very productive revenue stream for us. This is something that people um, are attracted to us for. So how can I, you know, turn up, turn that up um, versus, you know, some of the merchandise that we have, um, has sat and sat and sat. And it's like, okay, I thought that was a cool idea when we brought it in. Nobody's interested in that. So I'm spending way too much time chasing down, keeping that on the shelf when it's just sitting on the shelf right. versus spending my time and energy. So I think there's, um, and I think one of the interesting things about being an eight is that we think that way too, where it's like, where are the benefits of this situation? Where can I double down and where do I need to cash out? And we're a little bit less emotional about those decisions. Um, I mean, I think that the connections that we do make are really beneficial though. You are doing a bang up job, Carrie. I'm so excited for you. I know it's been, um, it, I mean, this was an interesting year to start a business. So I'm, I'm super excited for you. And, and just well, I was laughing because um, we won the best new business in Springfield for 2021. And I had to immediately talk myself out of being like, I mean, how many businesses started in the middle of COVID? <laughs> I'm like, there were some and yes, we were the best. Were. Just take the win. Just take That's the right. Win. That's right. Because they were starting because they didn't know and they had signed leases and they had to do it because they were in. I mean, you know, you reach a point, you're in, right? You're in this thing. So, yeah. Yeah. But I will be the first to say that, like, I loved opening. I mean, and this is, this is an eight thing too, where it's like, if this is a very challenging situation, this is even more exciting. Cause I always tell people, well, come on guys, if we can figure out how to make it COVID year, we can figure out how to make it any year. Right. Once we, if our foundation is COVID year, then we're our baseline is going to be nice and low for us to continue to improve. <laughs> yeah. You know, if we, if people aren't even, you know, sure about going to stores and we're getting people in our stores, we're doing an excellent job. Yeah. So, uh, I, I found the COVID year thing to be even more enticing because I was like, well, shoot, I, if I can figure out how to make it in those circumstances, I'm golden. And even when we first opened, we did like private shopping events and people could book hours that they came when we were close to the public. And I mean, we were like live sales, virtual shopping. Uh, we would, we did all those things. And now we're trying to figure out what we're going to retain of those things in a quote unquote normal world, because now we have all these tools in our tool belt and, yeah. <laughs> and the future is like, 
you only need a hammer, you know? And it's like, okay, which one's the hammer? <laughs> I got the toolbox full of tools. So it's, yeah, I think it's a fascinating, um, it's good. It's been a fascinating journey, but thank you for your kind words and always being open to chat with me. I appreciate that. I know, uh, I just keep circling up like a bad penny, but I, when you said anybody want to talk about the Enneagram, I was like, yes, please. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for You're doing welcome. this. That's all for this week's episode of Makers Chat. We cannot wait to share more with you about the Enneagram in coming episodes. Just remember to check out our show notes for links to learn more from Ms. Hillary Kay, to get on the list for her book launch. And of course, if you haven't already joined us on Facebook inside the Makers Chat community, please go ahead and do that. That's where you can go for deeper conversation to connect with not only the creatives that are here in the podcast, but other creatives just like you in our community. You guys have a wonderful day and we'll talk again soon.